I want to offer uh, one more quick announcement. So earlier we talked about our new midweek schedule moving forward. Uh, this particular coming Wednesday is going to be a little different though. So uh, there is a school break going on this coming week in Mobile County. And also it's going to be Valentine's Day that Wednesday. So we're going to hold off meeting this Wednesday at the steeple. But moving forward we will be meeting weekly. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Psalm 23. And as you're turning there, uh, by the way, I heard there's a football game going on tonight. And they claim it's super. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But uh, I, I want to show you a quick video. And this video kind of sets up where we're going for the next few weeks. So check out the screens. Brock, let me ask you a question about your faith. Jesus. How you doing? Doing good. How you doing? Good. Tell me about scripture this year, some of the Bible verses that you've been reading and passages that's maybe helped you this year. Yeah, this year for me, it's been Psalm 23. Um, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then it goes on. But um, for me, you know, playing this game, playing this sport, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, you can, it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, wanting and feeling like wanting to be loved, you know, obviously by your teammates and everybody, but like the world. And so um, for me, like in that in that passage, it's talking about, you know, I already have what I need from from the Good Shepherd and, and Jesus. So um, I don't know. I've just been studying Psalm 23 uh, throughout the whole whole season and been going back to it. It's what I start off with actually every single day. I just read off Psalm 23 to myself before I start start off with some solitude and, and then so that was Brock Purdy, who is uh, the quarterback for the 49ers, one of the teams in the Super Bowl, if you don't know who's in the Super Bowl. And uh, I, I love what he had to say. Obviously, uh, he's a young man of faith, and he mentioned uh, in Jesus, he has what he needs, and he refers to Jesus as his good shepherd. And that, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. So we're going to be in Psalm 23. This is a chapter that is very popular, obviously, and it's very important. And I believe it's popular because it's so important. Here's what we're going to be reminded of over the next several weeks. You and I, we didn't just evolve into existence. We didn't just randomly appear in this world. We, didn't, we don't just happen to be here. God actually created us, Right? And when he created us, he designed us. And when God designed us, he put things in us. One of those things that he put in us is a longing. There's something that we're craving in this life. A word that I think describes what we're craving is satisfaction. And as Brock Purdy just said, in the Lord, I have what I need. In the Lord, I have what I want. And so we're going to be in this series called Shall Not Want. And it's based off of, not Brock Purdy, but off of Psalm 23. And we're going to be considering throughout the series how in the Lord, our soul has everything it could need and want. Amen, church. So with that being said, let's go to the word of God together. If you're new here to downtown church, we like to stand for the initial reading of God's word. So if you are able... Would you stand? Psalm 23, all six verses reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. For years, I served as a hospice chaplain, and uh, this was one of those texts that when I would begin to read this over believers, I, I saw angst and worry turn into peace, just a resolve, knowing that they had a good shepherd, and he really did care for their souls. This psalm was written by David. And when David wrote this psalm and actually penned these words, David was a king. But David wasn't always a king, was he? He started out as a shepherd, right? That's what he did for a living. And then David, I believe, is looking internally. And he's thinking about himself. And he's thinking about his desires and his longings and what his soul needed. And the conclusion David came to was, my soul needs a shepherd. And I've got a good one. And he celebrates that fact all throughout this chapter. Uh, this morning, we're going to celebrate three truths about the Lord being our shepherd. And here's the way this is going to look over the next several weeks. There's six verses in this chapter, and we're going to take one verse a week and really just sit on what that verse is saying. And I hope and pray that you will be encouraged as well. The, the first truth that we're going to consider this morning about this text is the Lord is the saving shepherd. The Lord is the saving shepherd. Look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, if you're reading that in the English Standard Version, or maybe you've got King James Version, or maybe another translation, your Bible translation might have the name LORD in all caps. Okay, it's not that whoever was typing it accidentally left the caps lock on for a second. Okay, this was intentional. Anytime you're reading in the Old Testament and you see the name LORD in all caps, it's a specific reference to a specific and really a special name for God. And that name, which we actually learned about last week and really the last couple of weeks in our previous study, is Yahweh or Jehovah. It's a sacred name. And in fact, in ancient Jewish culture especially, it was so sacred that they literally would not vocalize the name except just one day out of the whole year when they were offering sacrifice. It was a very special name for God, is a very special name for God. And what that name signifies and why it's so important is because this was like God's special name for his people, his people Israel at the time. And then many years later, here comes David, and David uses the same name, and he says, the Lord, caps lock, is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. If you're an underliner, and by the way, it's okay to underline in your Bible, just my two cents. But if you're an underliner, I would underline Lord, obviously, but I'd also underline my. 
The Lord is my shepherd. David felt a personal connection to God. He felt a personal connection to this shepherd. And by the way, as should we all through our faith in Jesus, we have a personal connection with the shepherd of our souls. Even the prophet Isaiah echoed the sentiments in the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 40 verse 11, which says, He will tend whose flock? His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. All right. Throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that God had a special connection with his people, the nation of Israel. Which is interesting because Israel really messed up a lot, like a whole lot. Read the book of Exodus. It's one mess up after another. And yet, and yet, God was still faithful. He still had this personal connection with his people. And they still had this personal connection with their God. They were his flock. They were in his arms. They were brought into his bosom. They belonged to the Lord. Now, we might hear all of that and read those words, and we might be thinking, so, okay, Israel had that covenant relationship with God. That's really cool. Good for Israel. Where are we in all of that? And that's a fair question. God had a special connection with Israel, but what about us? Well, the truth is, we have a special connection as well, and it's actually a better connection because in the Old Testament, there were the, there were the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, it's a new covenant. And what we learn is it's a better covenant through Christ. Uh, look at John chapter 10, verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. So whether David realized it or not, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, he was actually speaking prophetically of how God would continue to shepherd his people even under the new covenant. Check this out. This is Jesus talking. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus talking, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So when Jesus spoke those words, he was addressing a specific group of people. It was a group of Pharisees, and if you don't know who the Pharisees were, they were the quote-unquote religious leaders of their day. And these were guys that knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. They knew every jot and tittle of the Old Testament, and they could recount it. They could recite it. And so they knew, uh, we know the 23rd Psalm, but they really knew the 23rd Psalm very, very well. And here, what happens is Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain as he's talking to these religious leaders who know this text incredibly well. And what does he tell them? He says, hey, I am, which by the way is a name for God, right? I am the good shepherd. Thinking back to what David said in that psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. Jesus comes along, and what does Jesus say? He says, that's me. I am the good shepherd. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. And what maybe you don't know 
is Jesus was all God in the flesh here, and he was also all man. He wasn't half God, half man, some hybrid. No, he was all God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And what he reveals to these Pharisees, the God-man reveals that he would soon lay down his life for the sheep. Why would he do that? He answers that. Look at John 10.10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Church, let that sink in. We are, quote-unquote, they here. I came that they may have life. Jesus came to this world that you might have life. And to what extent? What does that life look like? Well, it goes on to say, and have it abundantly. I love that word abundantly. If you, if you do a word study on that, it literally means remarkable. Jesus came to give you life. And what kind of life does Jesus come to give you? A, an abundant, remarkable life. It's just amazing, this life that you can have only in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the only way, church, that we can experience this abundant, remarkable life is if the shepherd faithfully lays down his life for the sheep. That's it. That's the only way. We can't experience the remarkable life Jesus is talking about with money, even if you got a lot of it. You can't experience this remarkable life with popularity, with a million followers on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you're on. It, none of that compares to the remarkable life that you can have through Christ Jesus our Lord. But it starts with the shepherd laying down his life for us. I was reminded as I was studying, I was reminded of that old hymn uh, that says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. That, that shock and awe needs to hit us all over again all the time, church. We need to be reminded that we don't deserve this. And I hope you see that this morning. You don't deserve the shepherd laying down his life for you. I don't deserve it. None of us do. But he did. Praise the Lord. He did because he is good and he is faithful. He is the good shepherd. And so the Bible reveals Jesus is the good shepherd. But something that I've never really noticed before is that it goes on to reveal that he's also the great shepherd. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Hebrews 13 verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, so a good shepherd is willing to lay down their life for the sheep. <laughs> but only a great shepherd can come back from the dead. And by the way, Jesus did both, right? Jesus laid down his life for us, and Jesus rose from the grave three days later. And here's what that means. Every Sunday we gather in here. 
And here's what I think some people functionally do when they gather with church bodies. I think sometimes they gather together in settings like this, and it's almost like they're serving the memory of a good shepherd. Like, in honor of the Lord Jesus, we gather. Listen, (laughs) we have a shepherd who's very much alive today. And we are actively following our shepherd today. And so when we gather on the Lord's day, it's kind of like a rallying point. It's kind of like that reminder, okay, here we go, church. Let's get out there. Let's keep following Jesus. Let's keep loving God. Let's keep loving our neighbor. And it's kind of that moment where we all get on the same page of following Jesus. And that's why it is called following Jesus, really, because he's our shepherd, and we follow our shepherd. So the Lord is the saving shepherd. Second truth, the Lord is also the satisfying shepherd. Look at Psalm 23, verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Kaysen in the band just Sing that song for us about shall not want. If you do a word study on that word want, it literally means lack. You shall not lack. Nothing will be lacking. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus, he's such a good, such a great shepherd that everyone in his flock gets everything they need. Their souls are completely satisfied in Christ. We lack nothing. Here's another uh, scripture with that same Hebrew word, Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. I love that because the New Testament echoes that. The Lord withholds no good thing from his people in Christ. You have everything you need to experience complete and utter satisfaction in your soul. And I hope maybe you do a little self-eval this morning. Am I satisfied in Christ? If you're not, maybe you've been following the wrong voice. Earlier we talked about how we were made by God. He designed us. And he put within us this longing. And here's what mankind has done since the start of creation. We look for satisfaction. The Rolling Stones sang about this, right? Uh, What did they say? I can't get no satisfaction, right? That's what they said. But church, they're wrong. You, You can, actually. We, church, can get satisfaction. And we do through our faith in the Lord Jesus. I believe the scriptures teach a pretty clear principle. You're following one of two voices in this life. You're either following the great shepherd, which is the Lord Jesus, or you're following the great deceiver, which is Satan. And you can't have it both ways. You're following one or you're following the other. And in fact, Jesus even clarifies this in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Church, we don't serve simply the memory of Jesus. We follow Jesus today, and his voice is active, and his voice is speaking. And even now, 
as we're engaging and interacting with his word, it's living, right? It's active. It's sharp, so sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces us, right? The Lord is moving. As the Chronicles of Narnia says about Aslan, the God figure in the story, he's on the move, right? The Lord is very much on the move and alive and at work today. So I I would encourage you to consider, even right now, what voice have you been listening to? There are some people who might think, well, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm being led by Jesus per se, but I'm not like killing people and doing drugs. I'm not like being led by the other guy either. You know, I'm just like middle ground, right? I'm just kind of here in the middle. Jesus was pretty clear about this idea too. Look at Luke eleven twenty three. 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Do, do you catch that? You're either gathering with Jesus. You're working with Jesus or you're scattering. You're sowing discord. You're doing the work of the devil, the other one, right? You can't have it both ways. There's literally no such thing as a spiritual middle uh, middle ground. And I have talked to some believers, and hey, confession, I've been here. I have talked with some believers in the past that feel like, you know, I I grew a lot at this point in my life, and I kind of reached this plateau. And I'm pretty good now. You know, I'm satisfied with this. There's no this. Okay, there's no middle ground, there's no neutral, if you know how to drive a five-speed, okay, there's none of that. You're either moving forward in your walk with the Lord, or you're not. You're being actively led away from doing the work of the Lord. Uh, There's a Christian author by the name of Philip Keller, and Philip grew up as a shepherd, like an actual shepherd, and so he wrote a book Uh, called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And in that book, he tells an interesting story. So Philip had his own flock of sheep, and he had a fence where he kept his flock. And his property was over here. His neighbor had another flock of sheep, and his property was over here. And here's what Philip noticed over time. He started watching how his neighbor cared for his sheep. His neighbor didn't tend the land. His neighbor didn't make sure that his sheep had clean drinking water. His neighbor didn't pay attention to the condition of their wool and what was going on. He didn't pay attention to if one of them had a limp and needed attention. He just ignored them. He just bred them and had them in this field, and he didn't care for them. And the reason this neighbor was doing this was because he didn't care for the sheep, one, but two, he just bred them to slaughter them, just for meat. Then you got Philip over here on the other side of the fence, and Philip is doing quite the opposite. He he makes sure his sheep have clean drinking water at all times. He's shearing his, his sheep as needed. He's attending to their physical needs. He's literally spending time with the flock so they'll follow him and listen to his voice and do what he wants them and needs them to do. And Philip recalled a scene where he was outside one day and his sheep were over here and he looks over at the fence and he sees a cluster of the herd from his neighbor's sheep. 
And they were all herded up together, right just smooshed up against the fence, staring at the clean drinking water on Philip's side of the fence. And as he saw that picture, this psalm came to his mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall have no lack. I will have everything I need in the Lord Jesus. Church, that's, that's us. In Christ, we're over here. We have everything that we need. Amen? One final truth we'll consider this morning. So first, we've considered the Lord is the saving shepherd. He's the satisfying shepherd. Lastly, the Lord is the seeking shepherd. Let's look at Luke 15. I'd actually like to read verses 1 through 7 for us this morning. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or don't see their need for repentance. Before we get to the point of that passage, let me first paint a little bit of context. In the Old Testament, God created a people for himself. He calls this man named Abram, later changes his name to Abraham. And he instructs Abram to leave his country, to leave his extended family, to leave everything he knew and was familiar with, and he was going to use Abraham to start a new nation. And that nation would be and did become the nation of Israel. And God had that special connection with Israel, right? He was the shepherd of Israel, his people, all throughout those Old Testament days. And then in the New Testament we see an opportunity open up. In that text we just read, Jesus was once again confronted by Pharisees and scribes, which was a pretty regular occurrence for Jesus. And they, they know what Jesus has been saying. This is that guy claiming to be the son of God. This is that guy claiming to be the Messiah. And look what he's doing. Look who he just went to Applebee's with. He went with the tax collectors. He went with those thieves, those crooked people, those sinners. There's no way those people could ever love God. That's what they're thinking. And so they see this playing out. And they ask Jesus, why would you do that? And Jesus doesn't fire back at them. Instead, he gently tells a story. And that story is called a parable. And he tells the story of a shepherd who had a flock of sheep. And this shepherd sees that one of his sheep is lost. And so the shepherd leaves the flock to go after the one that is lost. And then he finds the sheep. And it seems that this particular sheep is in a helpless state. Because here's what the shepherd has to do. The shepherd has to stoop down and pick up the sheep in his arms and drape it over his shoulders and carry it back. 
Now, put yourself in that shepherd's shoes. What attitude might you have? I know what attitude I have when my dog jumps over the fence when it shouldn't. I'm like, dog, get in my yard right now, right? That's not the attitude of the shepherd at all. In fact, let's consider the attitude of the shepherd here. Luke 15, verses 5 and 6. And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Think back on when you came to faith in Jesus. Maybe for you, you've got a past. You've got some baggage. You've got some things you're kind of embarrassed of. Maybe some things you don't tell anybody. Maybe for you, when you came to faith in Jesus, it was a pretty raw, emotional moment. Maybe for you, it was different. Maybe you were in VBS as a kid, five, six, nine years old, whatever. You heard what Jesus did for you, and you, you prayed a very simple prayer, but it was a real prayer. And maybe you repented of stealing your neighbor's crayons, whatever the case might be. And maybe for you, it was a slightly less emotional moment. Regardless of the emotions that were running through your mind and heart, when you came to faith in Jesus, can we consider the emotional state of our shepherd when we began to believe? What did that look like? In fact, let's look at this together. Luke 15 again. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Our shepherd celebrates when another one's added to the flock. Amen, church. And it's not just the shepherd that celebrates. In fact, look at this together. Luke 15, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I have no idea what this looks like in heaven, but I think it's cool. And there's a really cool mental picture in my mind. Because in the scriptures, when heaven is described, it's, it's, it's described as like a sea of people. Just a myriad of believers, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions who have professed faith in the Lord. And the Lord has redeemed them by the blood. And all of these people, apparently, there's a party in heaven whenever someone comes to faith in Jesus. It's a good thing. Look at that verse again, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the shepherd rejoices when a sheep is added to the flock. The generations of believers that have gone before us, maybe your, your granddaddy, your grandma, their dad, their mom, whoever, if they're, if they're a follower of Jesus, I believe they celebrate. I believe they celebrate that when you begin to believe and follow Christ. But it's not just the shepherd. It's not just the believers that are no longer with us. Church, there's also this. There's also the fellowship, the body of Christ today. And I want you to know, 
If you ever make a profession of faith here at Downtown Church, you're not going to get side glances, okay? You're not going to get the raised eyebrow like, oh, really? Like, no, we, we want you here. And most importantly, we want you in the family of God. We want you to know that you have a good shepherd, a great shepherd who loves you very much. We'll close with a couple of closing encouragements, some ways that we might respond to the word of God this morning. Number one, follow the good shepherd. And that might sound pretty simple, but it's kind of crazy how often we need to be reminded of that. Follow the good shepherd. I heard a story of a five-year-old that was in a Sunday school class, and uh, her teacher said, can anyone recite the 23rd Psalm? And little Susie raises her hand, and she's like, okay, go ahead. And Susie stands up and says, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. I love that. I hope that's your, your heart's desire this morning. The Lord is your shepherd, and that's really what you want. You really want for the Lord to lead you in this life and on through eternity. And the second encouragement is simply this, bring others into the flock. I don't want to give you any bad theology. We can't save anybody. But what we can do is we can tell people this pretty good news, this gospel, that there's a way to come into the flock. Christ, he is the shepherd. He is the door the way to enter into this flock. After this service, we're going to have an opportunity to do just that on this Joe Kane Sunday. Here's what I believe. There's a lot of people in our city, a lot of people in our community that need Jesus. Maybe there's people in your family, maybe even in your own house that need the Lord Jesus. May we faithfully and lovingly Take the good news of this good shepherd to them. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into what we call a time of response. I would encourage you to actually respond. How do you need to respond to the authoritative word of God this morning? Maybe you just need that, that truth to be like salve to your soul this morning, that you have a good shepherd. Maybe your life is just chaotic. Maybe things are scary. Maybe today you realize you're not even a part of the family of God. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've been listening to the wrong voice here lately. You've gotten a little distracted However you need to respond, I urge you to make that commitment to the Lord right now. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it's sharp and it's comforting and soothing all at once. Lord, may we respond to your word however you would have us this morning. May you be honored in the way that we take these truths and live in light of truth. We ask all of this 